Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you, fresh off of Valentine's Day and jumping right into spring training, Brendan. Yeah. We're ready. How was your Valentine's Day? It was lovely. Good. I mean, Syracuse basketball beat a top 25 team. There you go. What else could you possibly ask for? I mean, I think if Syracuse and UNC were to meet in the ACC tournament. Yeah. I think we'd have to get Orioles director of player development and UNC alum Matt Blood yeah. back on the podcast, not to talk baseball, strictly to talk ACC basketball. Well, there might be some bad blood on the podcast if that happens. <laughs> some spilled blood. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hey, Ooh. look, it's a, it's a battle. We're going to be talking about battles today. Not yeah. literal battles, Brendan. Metaphorical battles. Spring training. Well, roster they are battles. kind of literal battles. They're, kind of. It's not like they're, they're you know, grabbing a sh- short sword and shield. Yeah. And they're ready to Maybe jousting would be a good it. way to determine a final roster no, spot. No, I think jousting is, uh, I disagree there, Brendan, because I, I've always thought jousting is strange because it, it just seems like you're, you're on horses with these really long jousting sticks. Sure. And you're going as fast as you can at each other. How does that determine how good you are in combat? It seems more lucky than anything. Because you got to use the the big sword thing. It it seems more lucky than anything, right? Because you're just it's just who hits the other guy first and hardest. Well, is that listen, what it is? I don't know enough about jousting to know how much of it is the horse and how much of it is the person on the horse. We got to watch the uh, what was that Ben Affleck movie? Didn't he just do one? Batman. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he did one about jousting, didn't he? Gone Girl. That that's was it. the one. Are you just going to keep naming? Different Maybe. Ben Affleck movies? We'll see. That's going to be this podcast. Well, we are going to talk about spring training on this podcast. We're going to preview the biggest spring training battles, talk about some extra storylines that we are looking forward to seeing play out during spring training, and we're also going to look at the roster, the 40-man roster, and then some non-roster invitees to Sarasota, and we're going to try to determine at this point who's safe and who's not for making the opening day roster. But Brendan... We've kind of teased the last several weeks the spring training battles that will occur, and they're they're pretty straightforward. And I really have it broken down into three sections. One is starting pitching, seeing who is the who are the five guys in the rotation come opening day, because we do think it's going to be five. Michael Elias has indicated they could go with six, but probably not. Two who's in the bullpen, so eight other pitchers can make the roster in addition to the five that are in the rotation. And then the battle for the final couple of roster spots. There are really only three or four, maybe two or three, honestly, that are going to be up for grabs, truly available for anybody to get by the end of spring training, assuming there are no major moves made and assuming nobody goes down with injury. So those are the three areas that I'm looking at this spring. Yeah, because when you break it down as a 26-man roster, you have the nine position player starters who are set, pretty much 10, position players on this roster who are set when you take into account the 
Ramon Arias, Adam Frazier, whoever may be starting on a given day, you have 10 close to everyday starters among your position players who are absolute locks to make the roster. And then the only starting pitchers that we have pretty much confirmed are going to be in the starting rotation are Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin, based on what Michael Elias has said, based on the assets that were given up to get them, whether that be a contract given out in free agency or via trade. And then we have four bullpen arms that we consider to be locks in Felix Bautista, Michael Givens, Dylan Tate, and CNL Perez. Yeah. So that makes up a good chunk of locks. And then, as you mentioned, it's kind of just the back end of the starting rotation, who makes the bullpen, who's on the bench. Yeah, so let's start with starting pitching. And you kind of teased it there, but <clears throat> the biggest, most, most set-in-stone locks... I think it begins with Kyle Gibson. The Orioles handed him a $10 million one-year contract for a reason, and that was to be a steady presence in this rotation. He's going to make the rotation. He's not going to be a reliever. Cole Irvin, given the fact the Orioles gave up a top 20 prospect in Daryl Hernays in order to acquire him from the Oakland A's, I think it's safe to say he's in the rotation. So that's two guys right there. Next up, Kyle Bradish is my third lock for the rotation. There's just no point in sending him back down. He looked good in t at times last year, especially near the end of the season. He flashed a lot. Kyle Bradish is going to be in this rotation, I think. And then the last one that I think is actually close to a lock is Grayson Rodriguez. And it's weird to say because he hasn't made his MLB debut yet, but he was darn close to making it midseason last year before he suffered that lat strain. He came back near the end of the year and made it all the way back up to Norfolk. And Michael Elias seems to have the, his full support behind Grayson Rodriguez as a big leaguer come opening day. Yeah, I have, in terms of the 100% locks, I just have Kyle Gibson and Cole Irvin. Yeah. I have Kyle Bradish at like a 90% because there's just always the chance that maybe Kyle Bradish looks terrible in spring training and just doesn't earn a spot in the starting rotation. I don't think it's going to happen but I at least gave Kyle Bradish a little bit of wiggle room. He's still a 90, 95% chance to make the starting rotation in yeah, my I'd mind. I'd say 95. Grayson Rodriguez, same sort of deal. I have him at like an 80, 85% chance of making the starting rotation. I don't see a way in which Grayson Rodriguez comes to Sarasota healthy and he is not seen as one of the five best starting pitchers on this roster. Yeah. There's a chance which is why I'm giving him an 80 to 85% chance of making the starting rotation. But I would be very surprised if Grayson Rodriguez is not in this starting rotation. So all four of those guys for me have 80% chance of making the rotation or better. And then we have the fifth spot in that rotation. There are several candidates. I think the favorite at this point, before all these guys suit up and are throwing on the backfields and we've seen them in spring training games, just based on the information that we have at hand, Dean Kramer, to me, is the favorite for the fifth spot. 3-2-3 three, three ERA in 21 games, 21 starts last year. I said on a previous pod they've never used him out of the bullpen. Forgot they did once last year, but he is a starter in their mind. They haven't really used him in the bullpen unless absolutely necessary. And he was maybe the Orioles' best starter in 2022 from beginning to end. I know John Means looked very good before he had his injury and then had to have Tommy John surgery. You saw spurts from other pitchers at times, but Dean Kramer was called up in May and didn't lose a spot in the rotation throughout the entire season. 
He won, I believe, when we gave out our awards at the end of the year on the, this podcast, I think he won best starter because he put together probably the best complete season of any Orioles starter last year. Yeah, he did. We saw 323 ERA in his age 26 season, a whip just over 1250. The advanced numbers don't love Dean Kramer. He had an expected ERA of over 445, and he's... Not a strikeout pitcher at this point in his career. Early on, it looked like he was going to be a stuff guy with a great curveball and was going to get a good amount of strikeouts. And then last year, pretty much completely overhauled his pitching approach. Didn't see a ton of strikeouts from Dean Kramer, but the numbers were a lot better. Yeah, And it's funny when we're talking about Dean Kramer versus Kyle Bradish, because when you look at Bradish's season as a whole, I mean, you can make a case that it was worse because the ERA is a lot higher. And Bradish was only a year younger than Dean Kramer. So you could make a valid argument that Dean Kramer has a more solid case in the rotation than Bradish. However, I think Bradish flashed a little bit more. We saw some excellent stuff down the stretch, including that 10 strikeout near complete game against the Astros. But Dean Kramer did pretty much the same thing towards the end of the season as well. I gave him about a 70, 75% chance of making the starting rotation because I think he earned it given what we saw last year. But I think some other guys could sneak in and give him a, some competition. And Bradish, you mentioned he's a year younger. He also has a lot less experience major league experience because Dean Kramer was called up for the first time back in 2020 and then bounced back and forth in 2021 before finally establishing himself this past year, whereas Bradish was a rookie this past season. So the Orioles are probably giving him a little bit more leeway, and they certainly like the upside, I think, that Bradish possesses. So Kramer as the favorite for the fifth spot, that does not rule out the possibility of Tyler Wells, who I think has a, an excellent case to be made, his ERA was more than a run worse than Dean Kramer's, but he flashed just as much potential at times as Kramer. It was consistency, and especially consistency in staying healthy for Tyler Wells that was lacking last year. The difference between Wells and Kramer, for me, like you mentioned, they were similar last year, but Kramer had the better ERA, even though Tyler Wells did have a better whip. And we've already seen Tyler Wells have success out of the bullpen. We don't really know what Dean Kramer would do for you out of the bullpen. You mentioned the one game that he didn't start last year. I think he still pitched like five innings in that game because it was essentially like you had an opener who pitched, I think, an inning or two. I think it might have been Brian Baker. I'd have to go back and look I think for it sure. Was, yeah. But Dean Kramer pitched like five innings in that game. We've already seen Tyler Wells be effective as a high leverage reliever on this team. And I think you'd be much more comfortable if you were looking at the number five spot in the rotation and you're looking for somebody to put back into your bullpen, you'd be much more comfortable with doing that with Tyler Wells, given the fact that you have already seen that he can be effective in that role. That's not to say that Dean Kramer couldn't be, but Dean Kramer had the better ERA as a starter last season, and Tyler Wells has already been a good bullpen arm. And the fact that Wells has suffered a couple injuries in his short big league career and suffered a major injury even before he came to the Orioles, maybe using him out of the bullpen and converting him back into a reliever keeps him a little bit fresher, a little bit healthier. Yeah. I don't know for sure, and I don't know if the Orioles are necessarily thinking that, but the experiment was a moderate success, moving him into the rotation last year, converting him to a starting pitcher. I don't think it hampers his development to 
reverse that and to send him back to the bullpen. And frankly, his development does not take precedent or does not take priority over guys like Grayson Rodriguez or eventually DL Hall. You right. know, you wherever you're going to use him, he is going to have to be effective, Tyler Wells. He's not guaranteed to be a, a big piece of this team going forward. So just use him however he is most effective. And you mentioned DL Hall. I actually think there is a better chance that DL Hall makes the starting rotation than Tyler Wells. Really? Because I think if somebody is going to go to spring training and just absolutely dominate and show some unbelievable stuff and prove that he should be in the starting rotation, it's going to be DL Hall. He has the capability of doing that because we have seen the stuff flash before. We saw it last year at spring training. Was it the game against, I think, the Phillies in spring training a year ago? Inning. Where he pitches one inning, but he's pumping like 101. Yeah. And he's just striking everybody out. D.L. Hall could come back to spring training and do a similar thing this year. Just flash better stuff than pretty much anybody who you're going to see at spring training outside of Grayson Rodriguez and make a solid case for the rotation. Nothing against Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells, but they just don't have the same kind of electrifying stuff that D.L. Hall has. Can he command it? Can he control it? Those are the questions. But in terms of the pure stuff, if the command and control is there, I think he has a decent shot at making the rotation. I don't like to deal out definitive statements on this podcast because we don't know. We're all just looking from the outside and estimating. That being said, I really don't think D.L. Hall makes this rotation. The more I've thought about it, the less likely it seems to me. Because Michael Elias has mentioned how Grayson Rodriguez answered every question he needed to in the minor leagues last year, and especially AAA Norfolk. He looked like he was ready to get the call, and he checked every box. D.L. Hall didn't, and that's part of the reason they brought him up as a reliever. I think there's work to do for D.L. Hall and AAA Norfolk, and I think pretty much no matter what he shows this spring training, it is spring training. It's only going to be in short spurts. We're only going to see him for a couple innings at a time, it's going to be against a lot of guys who, frankly, are not going to make big league rosters. So you can't take the small sample size of spring training and say he looked really good in those five outings in which he threw an inning and a third each time against the Padres, although the Padres are at West, against the Mets, you know, AAA roster, essentially. Sure. He needs to be good in AAA. He needs to show that before they call him up. That's, that's I, again, I could be wrong, but the more I think about it, the less sense it makes for him to make this rotation. A 4.70 ERA in AAA Norfolk last year and an ERA over five last year out of the bullpen in the big leagues, to me, does not warrant him making this rotation. You still have time. He's still only 24 years old. And you have enough guys to fill out a rotation right now. You don't need him to make this rotation. And I think you could be concerned that he could make this rotation because of a hot spring and then get hit around in the big leagues, and then you're worried about, boy, what do we do with him? Do we send him back down? Do we move him to the bullpen? That's a bigger issue than starting him in Norfolk, making sure he's ready for the big leagues, and calling him up. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you need to rush D.L. Hall at all. I still don't think he's going to make this rotation. I only gave him like a 20-25% chance mm -hmm. of cracking the starting rotation, but... I will say, just in, in defense of the possibility here, he was excellent down the stretch to end the season. He had those final eight, eight or games. so appearances where he had an ERA just over one out of the bullpen. 
the ERA of over five last year, heavily impacted by the first few games that he had at the big league level, which is understandable. If you gave him a larger sample size, I think that ERA goes down even further. So you saw the flashes at the end of last year. And we have seen the Orioles make surprising roster moves, maybe not based on spring training, probably because they had more information going into the spring than we thought they did and Maybe it was just a surprise to us, but we have seen surprises based on spring training performance. I think about Keegan Aiken, who we had as an absolute lock to make the starting rotation, and then he doesn't make the team out of spring. Two years ago, yeah. Two years ago, starts down in AAA Norfolk, eventually works his way back up, but then never really sniffs the starting rotation again. So that was a big surprise because he was pretty much, I mean, he wasn't even in in pencil. He was pretty much in in pen on everybody's starting rotation two years ago has a really bad spring training, then we don't see him. So surprises can happen based on spring training performance. I'm going to ask you to play Brandon Hyde slash Michael Elias here. Yeah. Let's say everybody stays healthy throughout spring and D.L. Hall looks electric and you want to stick him in that rotation. What do you do with Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells? Are they both in your bullpen now? Again, I probably still start D.L. Hall at AAA Norfolk because he has more to prove there, as you mentioned, and I think it probably makes the most sense. But it's a good problem to have. It is a very good problem to try to figure out where you have to put Tyler Wells and Dean Kramer and fit in D.L. Hall. Yeah. Maybe he gets called up midseason and there's an injury, or maybe you try to flip a veteran like Kyle Gibson because you want to make room. I don't know the exact way to fit D.L. Hall in. All I know is that if he is electric in spring training, electric at AAA Norfolk, you've got to find a spot eventually, which is the conversation we had in our previous podcast. The one name that... We, frankly, probably have not been giving enough to pub to Austin Voth, who yep. had a very good season last year once he came to the Orioles, not his first half with the Washington Nationals. Shown he can come out of the bullpen. Shown he can start games. He's going to be 31. He just got money in, I think they avoided arbitration, so he's pretty much guaranteed a roster spot. He doesn't have any options left. He was very good last year. ERA around three and a half with the Orioles. Put in a tough situation, bouncing back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen, and people are saying in our comments, maybe Austin Voth should get more of a shot. I just don't consider him as much of a good candidate as somebody like Dean Kramer or Tyler Wells. I would prefer to put the younger, higher upside Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells in the rotation. Yeah, and not only would I prefer it from a pitcher perspective, but we already saw the Orioles last year once the rotation got too crowded, the first one to get the bump to the bullpen was Austin Both, yeah. despite the fact that he was pretty good when he was starting games. He was one of the Orioles' most reliable starters for a pretty good stretch. But once people got healthy and the Orioles called some guys up, he was the first one to go into the bullpen. Well, and they never really used him too deep into games. Right. He was never really asked to pitch more, anything more than five or six innings, even when he was at his best. Dean Kramer, near the end of the season last year, threw nine shutout innings against the Astros in September. Could Austin Voth ever do something like that? Maybe, but I don't know if the Orioles will ever ask him to do that. No. So I think that Kramer-Wells have the edge there. All right, that's the rotation. Should we talk about the bullpen? Sure. So, absolute locks. Felix Bautista. Yep. Cianel Perez. Michael Gibbons. Handed a major league contract to him this offseason. Dylan Tate was yep. great last year. Those are my absolute locks. Just four guys. Yep. 
Then I've got a, a group of favorites behind him. Mm-hmm. I will add two locks to that, assuming the starting rotation is what we have projected as Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer. In any order. In whatever order. Then Austin Voth and Tyler Wells, I think, are pretty much locks to make the bullpen, as is Brian Baker for me. They're all 90 percenters. I would say if our plans go the way the Orioles' plans go, yes, with the exception of Baker. I'm not 100% sure Baker is going to make the team. I think he is in the 90% range, maybe 85 to 90% range, but I don't think he's as much a lock. I know he looked really good down the stretch last year, 3-4-9 ERA. I just want to see if that's sustainable because that was really his first big league season other than one one singular appearance with the Blue Jays the year before. Yeah, and as you mentioned, he kind of got better as the season went along. He had just over 16 innings in September, had an ERA of 110 in a lot of very important games down the stretch for the Orioles. So I don't think he is an absolute lock. He's not in the tier of the four guys that you mentioned, but he is in the Austin Voth, Tyler Wells tier for me of a 90% chance of making this team. Would be shocked if he didn't. So that only leaves a couple spots. If, if all these guys are healthy and make the roster... Leaves one spot. Leaves really one spot. Yeah. If all those guys make it, yeah. who would you give that spot to, Brandon? I have about a 50-60% chance that it's Keegan Aiken. Because as of right now, given the information that we have now learned about D.L. Hall, that he is going to be a starter, if D.L. Hall does not crack the starting rotation at the big league level you would be left with only one lefty in the bullpen in CNL Perez if Keegan Aiken doesn't make this team. Now, yeah. you could say that maybe it's Nick Vespi instead of Keegan Aiken, so that fills that left-handed role as well. But Keegan Aiken is kind of the left-handed innings eater that Brandon Hyde used pretty effectively last year, and Keegan Aiken put up good numbers. I mean, he had a 320 ERA, a whip below 1,100, the expected ERA was pretty good, too, at 362. So maybe we're not giving enough credit to Keegan Aiken for what he did last season. He filled a very specific role. It wasn't very high leverage, but we could see him as a lefty piggyback option if the Orioles want to limit innings for Grayson Rodriguez, whoever it might be. I think he is still a good option to have in the bullpen. But even if he does make the team, I would give him a pretty short leash if Nick Vespi is dominating AAA again and deserves a spot in the bullpen. One of the more underrated positive storylines last year was Keegan Aiken's massive leap that he made yep. once he was given a full-time spot in that bullpen. We're talking about a guy that before that had an ERA over five in his career and was essentially a failed starter, and he really made a massive leap out of the bullpen. I would agree with you, Brendan. I would give that spot at this point to Keegan Aiken. Now, something could happen that happened in 2021, which was Keegan Aiken allowing 10 earned runs in 10 innings in spring, and the Orioles saying, we really can't just keep this guy at the big league level. That could happen again. Could happen to Keegan Aiken. Could happen to somebody else. Could happen to Brian Baker. I think it, there's a, I think it could happen to CNL Perez, although I think CNL Perez has a pretty darn good shot of making this team because he is, because of how dominant he was at the big league level last year. So, that could rule him out of the conversation, but if I were to write up my bullpen right now, my opening day bullpen, Keegan Aiken would make it. Yeah, he is my eighth and final spot. The tier below him are guys that I would give like a 
20 to 30% chance of making the team. Nick Vespi probably being at the higher end of that 20 to 30% chance of making the roster. He was unbelievable at AAA Norfolk last year, literally did not give up a run. So he has absolutely nothing to prove there. Just wasn't excellent at the big league level, but it was his first exposure to big league hitters. So I would hope that Nick Vespi, even if he doesn't make the team on opening day, is probably the first call from AAA Norfolk. And then Andrew Politi has a bit of an uphill battle as a right-hander in this bullpen. You would have to return him since he was a Rule 5 draft pick. Maybe he flashes in spring training, but the Orioles just kind of take a flyer with Politi in the Rule 5 draft. Not really sure if he makes this roster. And then Joey Crable as well. We haven't really talked about Joey Crable, even though he was pretty good last season. I think Michael Givens kind of took his spot. I don't really see an open roster spot at this point for Joey Crable. Nick Vespi, the question for him isn't just, is he good enough to make the opening day roster, but will he be healthy enough? I know he said that he plans on being full go come spring training and he's going to be fine and he will not have this sports hernia surgery affect his opening day plans, but the Orioles a month or two before that did expect him to miss opening day and to start the season rehabbing. Is he going to be 100% come opening day and be ready to make this team? That's a big question. And also, does he have the upside? I mean, I know he was excellent in AAA last year. He's a year younger than Keegan Aiken. He is a lefty, so maybe he could take Aiken's spot. But his fastball barely touches 90 miles an hour. And when he got hit last year, he got hit hard. 410 ERA is solid out of the bullpen, but Aiken was better 320. And does Vespi have the upside, even though he, he's an excellent AAA pitcher? Is he going to be just an, essentially a quad A, a 4A pitcher, or is he going to be a legitimate big league reliever? And I think regardless of, of this goes for Vespi, this goes for Crable, I think these guys will get an opportunity. Even if they don't make the big league roster, I think that they are going to be in the big leagues at some point this year. We saw how much the Orioles churned through that bullpen to make sure guys were healthy and fresh. I think I expect a similar pattern this year. Yeah, they're going to be the first calls. Yes. If the Orioles need a bullpen arm. It, Nick Vespi is just such a weird case because if you have an ERA of literally zero at AAA Norfolk, there's no point in staying there. But he just wasn't excellent, as you mentioned, at the big league level. So hopefully with another year of facing big league competition, we will see more from Nick Vespi. But as of right now, I don't have him making the opening day bullpen. And then Crable... His stock is down, unfortunately. He finished the season in a really rough stretch. The second half was not good for Joey Crable, and it finally ended in the last week of the season with him getting demoted to AAA. So I think that's why he's fallen out of this conversation. But he was with the big league team the entire season up until then. And he was pretty good. Yeah, he, he was solid. So Crable has a shot, stock pointing, you know, arrow pointing down right now, but maybe he can turn things around. Yep. And then Toledi... His Rule 5 draft status is a double-edged sword because it can help him because he's already on the 40-man roster, but it's also very easy to send him right back to the Red Sox. And if they were to send him right back to the Red Sox, the Orioles might prefer that because they would then have an open 40-man roster spot that they could use on somebody if they really needed to, if they wanted to sign one more free agent, if they wanted to promote somebody like a Franchi Cordero, who we'll talk about in a second. So... I think Politi, unfortunately, has an uphill battle. I think it's interesting because this year, the Orioles are in a much different 
term phase of team building. In previous years, we've seen Rule 5 draft picks come into camp and we're saying, well, Richie Martin's the opening day shortstop because he's all they have. The Orioles aren't in that position this year. You know, Rule 5 draft pick making the team would be nice and contributing, but they don't absolutely need this Rule 5 draft pick right. uh, to be solid. One more name I do want to throw out there, Brendan, is Darwinson Hernandez, who was added, traded for from the Red Sox, and then eventually DFA'd, cleared waivers, and was assigned to AAA Norfolk. So he would have to be added to the 40-man roster, but let's say you send Andrew Politi back, there's your 40-man roster spot. He looked good two years ago for the Red Sox, bad last year, and he's only 26 years old. So I think Darwinson Hernandez is another guy who has an outside shot as a lefty of making this bullpen. Yeah, I'd put him in a tier below Vespi and Crable, but I'd still he still has a shot yeah. to make the big league roster. All right, final roster spot, talking yep. position player-wise. Off the top, you mentioned how 10 spots are pretty much locked up. Yeah. You know, you, you have the Adam Frazier, Ramona Rios, second base, third base. We'll talk about that in a minute. You have that platoon, whatever you want to do with it. Those guys are all making the team. Yeah. You need a spot for a backup catcher, so that's 11. It's going to be James McCann if he's healthy. That's two spots open. Yet the Orioles have to carry 13 pitchers and 13 position players. I'm not crazy about the rule. I think you should be able to do whatever you kind of want with – messing with position players and pitchers. I don't think you can go 10 and 16, but you should maybe be able to go 14 and 12 if you really wanted to. Yeah, if you really felt like it. But they have to go 13 and 13, they which do. leaves two spots. Yeah. Who are you giving those two spots to? I think the first one is well, pretty I should, much Kyle Stowers. I should really say three spots. There's, yeah. there's three spots. I think one of them is pretty much going to be Kyle Stowers. Right. I think that Stowers showed the most potential at the big league level last year. Had an OPS of 724 in 34 big league games. He was excellent in AAA entering his age 25 season. Has a higher pedigree in terms of his what we thought his potential could be as a prospect than guys like Ryan McKenna and Taron Vavra. So Kyle Stowers, I give the edge to as the 11th man. I think the real conversation comes with 12 and 13, but Kyle Stowers right now, I would give a 70, 75% chance of making the opening day roster. Yeah, he makes too much sense to not have this opening day roster spot. And the Orioles showed a lot of faith in him down the stretch, giving him a good amount of playing time in the middle of what was then a race for the wild card spot. The other two spots, Brendan... Once we sort of lock in Kyle Stowers, I think the favorites are Taron Vavra and Ryan McKenna. Yep. Vavra is 26. McKenna is 26. Vavra, we talked about on our last podcast, kind of a mini Adam Frazier, although he is taller than Adam Frazier. I think Adam Frazier is listed as 5'10". Vavra is 6'1". So, super-sized Adam Frazier. Learning the ability to play first base, that's going to be massive for his chances of making this roster. And then McKenna is a right-handed hitting center fielder, good glove in center. Fast would be a great, you know, late game pinch runner. Can pinch hit if you're really worried about Cedric Mullins' splits. Righty-lefty. McKenna, I think, has shown enough to make this opening day roster as well. I agree. And I think we saw exactly what Ryan McKenna's role is going to be last year. Yeah. He is a very good defensive replacement. And as you mentioned, if Cedric Mullins needs an off day, he is a 
good option against left-handed pitching. I think he had better OPS against lefties than Cedric Mullins did last year. So he is a pretty solid option there. He can play a good defensive center field, can play a good defensive wherever you need him to in the outfield. I don't think Ryan McKenna has the ceiling of an everyday starter at the big league level, but I think he has a very good role right now, which is just a backup outfielder who you can count on defensively, is a good pinch runner, and can hit pretty well against lefties. That's a solid role for Ryan McKenna. Probably won't get as much playing time as Kyle Stowers, but I think carrying five outfielders makes sense. And then Taron Vavra serves more as a utility guy than just a pure outfielder. You pretty much have two utility guys on the bench at that point between Taron Vavra and if Ramon Rios starts on the bench or Adam Frazier, whoever it may be. All three of those guys are just kind of utility players wherever you need them to be. Taron Vavra provides a lot of value at the big league level. He's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but he's going to get on base a ton. He's going to put up good at-bats. He's a valuable piece at the big leagues. Yeah, his his ability to play first base may have kind of ended the conversation of could the Orioles add another first baseman to back up Ryan McKenna, or to back up Ryan Mountcastle, I should say. And McKenna, given how much Austin Hayes misses time, and it's unfortunate at this point in his career that he has kind of earned the label of being injury-prone, and I know he is desperate as anybody to change that label, but it's nice to have McKenna, who can fill in in a extra-large Orioles left field defensively and be solid offensively, give you enough offensively to replace Austin Hayes if he's banged up as well. And given Anthony Santander's defensive, you know, uh, lack of speed and solid arm, but lack of speed, nice to have McKenna as a another option in the outfield. Yeah, and if we're counting Stowers, McKenna, and Vavra, and then you consider Adam Frazier as well, that pretty much gives the Orioles seven outfield options. Colton, a lot of them can play multiple positions. With Colton Cowser on his way. Colton Cowser on his way. Outfield is going to be deep. Maybe maybe Connor Norby on the way as well. He can play a corner outfield. I know they banned the shift, so you can't go with four outfielders. Mm. But it would be fun. It would be. I, right? Isn't that part of the uh, the rules that you cannot go with four outfielders yes. as well this year? Yeah. Which we saw some teams deploy at times against Adley Rutschman going with the fourth outfielder. I think we'll still see some funky stuff, and I think that's a conversation for another podcast as we get closer to the season. But I think you could see guys still being pretty much as close to the line as possible with their, like, toes on the dirt. Yeah. You know what I wanted to see last year, Brendan, if we had four outfielders? Seven-man outfield. I wanted to see a one, two, three left field, center field, right field, and then just somebody playing at the wall in left field. Just because it's such a massive left field. Yeah. You know, you have just, like, a short Shallow left, 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 left fielder, field. deep left, deep left fielder. fielder. Yeah. Could have seen it. We look in softball last year. You and I had to play a two-man outfield. We did. That was we were. You know what? Why don't we the Orioles do a two-man outfield? Honestly, we have shown that we could do it. No, we allowed too many triples and in inside the park we, home runs. We did. A ball was hit to, uh, you know, right field, and we were terrible. sprinting for days. Yeah, uh, all right, other guys who might be considered for a final roster spot, and this is probably in, more in case of an emergency because none of these guys are on the forty-man roster at this point. Lewin Diaz, Franchi Cordero, Ryan O'Hearn, Josh Lester. All four were added on minor league deals this year. Nomar Mazzara I'd put in that category Nomar Mazzara, well. sure. Um, more an outfielder for Mazzara, which makes his case a little bit tougher. But the other guys, 
are more first basemen. Right. Uh, Lehman Diaz, very good defensive first baseman. The fact that the Orioles came out of the offseason with Lehman Diaz after all of the transactions involving that guy, uh, he's going to get a lot of questions, I think, at his locker in Sarasota on Probably. the first day about what his offseason was like. I like his upside. He's still very young. He's 25, 26. And the ability to, you know, the, the major league experience, it's just going to have to take an injury to somebody above him for him to get a final spot. And same with Cordero, O'Hearn, and Lester. Yeah, with all of these guys, it's less of a conversation of do they make sense on a big league roster and more of a conversation of would you rather have Ryan O'Hearn or Ryan McKenna? Or would you rather have Lewin Diaz or Taron Vavra? I'm going to go with McKenna and Vavra over all of those guys. Yeah, and it will be nice to have some minor league depth there as well in case somebody goes down for an extended amount of time. Knock on wood, hopefully Ryan Mountcastle doesn't, but if you need somebody to fill in long-term at first base, you will have somebody right. in theory. All right, other than that, a couple other names I do want to throw out there, the young guys. Yep. Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby. Colton Kowser. Colton Kowser, sure. All four guys finished the season in AAA Norfolk. And Michael Elias said on the Hot Stove Show last couple Fridays ago, 9 p.m. on Masson, that he didn't see their paths being blocked to the big leagues. I think that was more talk, and that was more trying to light a fire under them, although yeah. not like these guys need a fire lit under them. We're talking about four very motivated young players. But he was essentially saying he could see them making an impact on this big league team this season and maybe as early as the spring. I think it would take a major injury to a regular big leaguer for us to see one of those four guys. But we saw it to an extent last year, so I understand what Michael Elias is saying. Towards the end of last year, Taron Vavra and Kyle Stowers just looked like two of the better lineup options, so they just got playing time. Yeah. So you can say, yeah, there are guys like Adam Frazier or whoever it may be at the big league level who are currently blocking some guys like Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz. But if Westberg and Ortiz make the big league roster a few months into the season and just outperform guys like Adam Frazier or Jorge Mateo or whoever it may be, we've talked about the same thing with Colton Kowser and Austin Hayes. If those guys just prove to be better options at the big league level, then nobody's blocking them. They'll just get more playing time because they are better options at that point. We saw it happen last year as well. Yeah, I think those guys are hoping that they will get any kind of opportunity, and it's a question of how long will that opportunity last. Last year, we saw Kyle Stowers come up very briefly when the Orioles needed a replacement in Toronto, and he had a three-game stretch to get his feet wet. Maybe something like that will happen with one of these guys. Yeah. I, I think the only one who's not on the 40-man roster is, I think, are all of those guys on the 40-man roster at this point? They Kowser and, a, Kowser and Kowser Norbert and Norby are not. are not. But Ortiz and Westberg are. Because Ortiz they were, and Westberg had to be protected. Right. So they are on the 40-man roster. So that gives them probably a leg up. But look, if, they're, if Kowser and Norby are putting up unbelievable stats at, at Norfolk, you'll make room for them. <laughs> and I don't think any of those guys are going to get the Adley Rutschman treatment at the big no. level, which is they come up, or the Gunnar Henderson treatment, yeah. where they come up and they get an everyday spot off the jump. Maybe Colton Kowser, but I would be surprised. They're going to have to earn it at the big league level. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about who is going to make this team, Brendan. Yeah. We kind of laid out the case. Now it's just a matter of putting the puzzle pieces together. 
the absolute locks, the tier one. I have this broken down into several tiers. The first and most definitive of those is the marker tier. Yeah. Put them in in marker. I think, and, and again, injuries will change this. But barring injuries, these guys are making the team. Yeah, I have 16 guys in that tier. Paul. I didn't even count how many guys are in that tier. but Well, I have 16. I'm just going to rattle them off quick. Sure. Let me know if you have any disagreements here. Oh, boy. Kyle Gibson, Cole Irvin, Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, Michael Givens, Adley Rutschman, James McCann, Ryan Mountcastle, Adam Frazier, Jorge Mateo, Gunnar Henderson, Ramon Arias, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander. Yeah. That is my 16 tier one. Put them in marker, Sharpie, whatever kind of marker you have. Just write them in. Yeah. I, I didn't go one for one there, but I... Every name I heard, I agreed with. Okay. I'll, I'll go to my next tier then. Sure. My next tier is pretty much locks, and this is just my tier two. I have three guys in that tier. Kyle Bradish, Austin Voth, Tyler Wells. I have Tyler Wells in marker. Yep. I have Kyle Bradish in marker. Yep. Austin Voth is in my pen category. Not marker, pen. I can get behind both of those. And I do have three guys in that pen category in including Austin Both, I have Grayson Rodriguez, I think only because it's so difficult for me to say this guy is an absolute lock when he hasn't made his MLB debut yet. Sure. I, I know he has all the talent in the world, and I know the Orioles really want him in that rotation. It's just tough for me to say this guy's making the team when he's 23 and hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet. Grayson Rodriguez is in Tier 3 for me, which is two guys. Again. Oh, my, my final one is Dean Kramer. Oh, Dean for, Kramer. For my pen. Okay. Yeah. That next tier for me, my tier three, guys that are just below Bradish, Voth, and Wells, Grayson Rodriguez and Brian Baker. Okay. Those are the two guys in that tier for me. I have a tier three of pencil. So you're going marker, pen, pencil? See gotcha. how this is working? Yeah. I didn't name mine, but are, I did count them. These are clever. Yeah. Kyle Stowers is the only one in pencil that I have there. So is Stowers in your tier four? He is in my tier four. Okay. Kyle Stowers and Dean Kramer. Guys that I think made really? solid cases to make the big league roster last year and are still, I mean, my tier four at this point is not a toss-up. My tier four are guys that I give a 75% chance okay. of making, 75-80% chance of making the big league roster. Okay. It's still my tier four. I just am not as confident in Kyle Stowers as I am in Grayson Rodriguez. Same right. with Dean Kramer. Not quite as confident that Dean Kramer makes the starting rotation as I am, like Grayson Rodriguez does. So there's still very good chance. Still think they're making the team. 75 to 80% chance for me, but they're in my tier four. That's the two guys, Kramer and Stowers. Okay, my tier four, now that now we're getting into tournament. March Madness is around the corner. Yeah. Last four in, as Joe Lenardi would that's say. That's my tier five. Okay, uh, so that's my tier four. Last four in. I wanted Kyle Stowers to get his own tier because I don't think he's one of the last four in. I think he's a step above that for me. My last four in are Brian Baker, Ryan McKenna, Keegan Aiken, Taryn Fafra. Yeah, so we really just disagree on the placement of Brian Baker and Dean Kramer in terms of our tiers. I have Brian Baker in my tier three. You have him in your last tier. My last tier is the final three in. Same kind of thing. My three guys, Keegan Aiken, Ryan McKenna, yep. Taryn Vavra. Yeah. That's my tier five. Hopefully everybody's following all these names that we're just throwing out there. Yeah. But really, the only guys for me that are question marks in terms of making the roster are the three guys that I have, at yeah. least with a leg on up. On the bubble. 
Keegan Aiken, Ryan McKenna, Taryn Vavra. On the bubble, but they've made good cases. They're my last three in. And then the tier above them, which still has a slight question mark for me, but not a big one, is Dean Kramer and Kyle Stowers. Gotcha. Well, as any bracketologist would know, you have a last four in and a first four out. I do. And I have a first four out as well. Let me know if you disagree here, Brendan. Mine are Joey Crable, Nick Vespi, D.L. Hall, and Andrew Politi. Those are my first four out. Really? Yeah. Boy, they just needed to win a few more conference games. And yeah. they just couldn't get those, uh, what do they call them? They don't call them tier one wins. What do they call them? Quad. quad. They break them down into quad. They yep. need a quad one win. Uh, then my tier six, my next four out. I have Lewin Diaz, Franchi Cordero, Darwinson Hernandez, Ryan O'Hearn. Yep. Are those the same? Same. Wow, remarkable. And I, then I mean, I just kind of grouped a larger tier at the bottom. Yeah. I had the just missing being mm-hmm. Franchi Cordero, Ryan O'Hearn, Lewin Diaz, Darwinson Hernandez. And then I had the young and fun tier which is Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Colton Kowser. I hope I'm part of that tier. Yeah. I'm well, young and fun. Yeah, well. Uh, young and fun, but uh, you're not making the team yet. Wow. That's my tier there. That's okay. I'm young and I'm fun. Well, I would give them a bit of a higher percent chance of making the opening day roster than you, but, you know, you never know. Then I would give them, or then? Then I would give you, you me. to make okay, the opening gotcha, day roster. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Which is why you're not in that tier. Yeah, gotcha. That's my tier seven. That's my, they need to win their conference tournaments. Yeah. Uh, And that's the same guys, Ortiz, Westberg. They need to go on a run in in March and then steal a bid, an outright bid from somebody. Yeah. So, all right. A couple other questions that we should run through real quickly. Other storylines that we're looking forward to seeing play out over the course of spring training, Brendan. And I think a big one is where does Ramon Rios play the most? I don't know if the Orioles are going to tip their hand in Sarasota, but I have an idea of how they'll deploy him during the regular season, assuming Adam Frazier, everybody else is healthy. Yeah, here's my theory, Paul. You want to hear my theory? Sure. I think he plays third base against right-handed pitching because in that case, you would put Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, and I think he plays second base against left-handed pitching. Did you look at my notes? I I didn't. Did you look at my notes? I did not. This is exactly it. Wow. Wow. Look at us, huh? Sharing a brain. Yeah. I think he plays second base against lefties with Adam Frazier on the bench. This would be a great GM-manager pairing. It would not be. Who Who would be GM? Who would be manager? I don't know. I play a lot of franchise mode. I make a lot of trades. So, GM? Yeah, I think so. All right, I'll be manager. I can rally the troops. Sure. I can I can keep spirits high after a tough loss. Yeah. I, I've played a good amount of franchise mode. I feel yeah. confident in my okay. GM abilities. We're gonna we're gonna be on the same page here. Yeah. Uh yes, I have the same thing. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Because Adam Frazier, when you're facing a lefty, Frazier is a lefty, you don't want to necessarily put him at second base. I know Urias has reverse splits, has in his career as a righty, but I think those will kind of normalize the more at bats that he gets over the course of his career. So Frazier in that instance, where you have Arias at second base, could be on your bench. He could be playing in the outfield. He could be in the corner outfield, probably right field. And then you'd have Mateo, who's a righty at shortstop, Gunner, who's a lefty at third base. Yep. So you're going with two righties in the infield at second base and shortstop. Yep. A lefty because it's Gunnar Henderson. He's gonna he has to play. Yeah, he's so, playing. So <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be yeah. at third base. And then whatever you want to do with Frazier, if you want to Put him in the outfield that day if you want to DH him that day. Or if you say we don't like his splits, 
he's going to be on the bench today. Yeah, and real quick, just to stay with the infield conversation, saw a comment on YouTube saying that Gunnar Henderson is too valuable to put on the right side of the infield at second base. We've gotten some questions about that. I'm not putting Gunnar Henderson at second base if I, I wouldn't either. It. Yeah, and, and I think the Orioles would if they had to, and that's why we saw it for a short stretch last year. But I think he's going to be... Sec, I think sorry. I think he's going to be shortstop, third base. He's too good on the left side of the yeah. infield to not put him on the left side of the infield. Yeah, and you don't want to hurt his development by putting him at second when he could be getting more reps at short and third. I think Gunnar Henderson stays on the left side of the infield. Yeah. So who would get the boot against righties would be Mateo. Yes. Mateo is on the bench in that instance against righties, which means Adam Frazier, a lefty, would be at second base. Gunnar Henderson would be your shortstop. From everything that we've seen and heard, he's good enough to do that. And your reverse splits third baseman would be Ramon Arias. And a gold glover at third base. Right. His, his better probably position at this point, although I think he could play a very solid second base as well. Yep. So I think that the Orioles have a nice tandem there. And they can, they can mix and match with it however they want. And I'm not afraid of taking Mateo's bat out of the lineup. And I know, I don't think it'll be too far a step down defensively. Maybe there will be a slight one because Gunnar Henderson's still very young. He's still going to be essentially a rookie next year. Mateo was, you know, won the Fielding Bible Award, whatever that is, at, at shortstop. Maybe there will be a slight step down, but I think keeping Gunnar Henderson in the lineup is critical. And if you lose Mateo's low batting average, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, and there's a big difference between going from Jorge Mateo's defense at short to Ramon Arias' defense at short, which he was excellent at third, not so great at short, to Mateo to Henderson. Somebody asked on YouTube as well where we think Henderson will play better defense, shortstop or third base. I don't know. I think that he's he's only played about 200, 250 career professional games. So he really has not played a whole lot yeah. just yet. And it's Good to keep that in mind when we talk about how much expect, how many expectations are on this young guy. I think we'll see. I think the chance, I think he has a chance to be a better shortstop um, long term, but I think it's a tougher position to play. Well, to answer that question literally, I think he is a better defensive third baseman than a shortstop because we've just seen historically that if you are a pretty good defensive shortstop, you're usually a very good defensive third baseman. Yeah, shortstop so is just harder to play. So if you're answering literally, then he is a better defensive third baseman, more than likely. But it's entirely possible that he gives you more value at shortstop by playing a good defensive shortstop there. Another commenter mentioning Manny Machado as well. How Machado came up as a shortstop. Hardy, J.J. Hardy was already at short. They moved him to third. Machado was a gold glover at third. If you're, if you're good at short, you're probably great at third. Yeah, I think we'll see. I think we'll see exactly how he develops. He's still quite young. Another question uh, this spring that I want to see play out. How do the prospects look? How did Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Colton Kowser look? Whether they have a real opportunity to make this team or not, I just want to see them play. And I want to see how good they are against competition that's not 100% big league, but a mix between AAA and big league. How are they? Can they? Do they look like they can handle themselves? Yeah. Gives you a pretty good sense of how close they might be to the big league level. Again, I don't think any of those guys make the opening day roster, but... Maybe some of them ball out in spring training and could be pretty close. And it's going to be exciting, frankly, to see Grayson Rodriguez in, in spring training action again as yeah. he gets ready for the for the regular season. Just seeing him pitch against higher-level co competition is right. exciting. Yeah. Uh, will Andrew Politi make this team, the Rule 5 draft pick? 
I, I think that is a conversation to be had because the Orioles have used their final couple roster spots on Rule 5 draft picks before. Four of the Orioles' six Rule 5 draft picks under Mike Elias have made the opening day roster. Richie Martin, Drew Jackson, Max Aroller, Tyler Wells. The two that did not, Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker, they were both returned in 2020. But of those four that made the opening day roster, only two of the six made it through their rookie seasons. Richie Martin and Tyler Wells. And only one remains, and that's Tyler Wells, of right. the six draft picks that he's made. So Orioles are in a different phase of their team building. They, Like I said, they don't need Politi to be good, but they clearly value the Rule 5 draft as a way to acquire talent. Will that be enough to get Politi onto this team? It's possible. It's possible. I think he has an uphill battle. I think there's a lot of good right-handed pitchers in this bullpen right now, so it would be very hard for him to crack the bullpen. He'd really have to sparkle come spring. A uh, couple other questions, Brendan. Yep. Who's going to start on opening day? Brandon Hines is going to get that question every day for the next six weeks. Yeah. Delhi names the starter. I think there's really only two possibilities in my mind, and it's Kyle Gibson or Cole Irvin. I think Dean Kramer has the best outside chance out of those two. If I'm putting my money somewhere, it's Cole Irvin. I think it's wide open. I'll be honest. I don't think any one of these has... I just... Well, I don't see any scenario where Grayson Rodriguez starts opening day. I just don't see it no, happening. That, he's the only one that I, I have definitely out. I don't think Kyle Bradish starts opening day either. I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance, but he wasn't incredible last year. He didn't really earn an opening day spot. In terms of starting opening day, he earned an opening day roster spot. What if he takes a massive leap this spring and he... He could. Is dominant. But again, this is going to be his first full season at the big league level. So I would be very surprised if somebody who doesn't have a full year in the majors gets a start on opening day. He I, pitched pretty much most of last year at the big league level. Didn't take him too long to get the call up. But I would just be surprised. You could also, though, say... I would be surprised if somebody who had an ERA over five last year would be the Orioles opening day starter, and that's Kyle Kipson. Which is why I go Cole Irvin. If the I'm problem, ranking them right now, I go Irvin, Gibson, Kramer, Bradish, G-Rod. The problem with Irvin is how bad he was on the road last year. I think a 3-6-0 ERA at home at the Coliseum last year struggled mightily on the road last year, and the Orioles opened at Fenway Park. That would be a massive hurdle for me. There's not a perfect option. There's not. There's not. But I think it probably goes to one of the two veterans. I think probably. I just think this one is more open than than it has been in previous years. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's wide open. Yeah. I, I think there's... I, I would not split it up between, say, it's Irvin or Gibson and then everybody else is an outside shot. I think it's like 30% Gibson, 25% Irvin. So now we're talking 55%. And then you split the last 45% between... Bradish and Kramer. So I agree. 20 and 25. I, I don't think be, anybody has a, a greater than 50% chance. I would give it like a 40, 30, 20, 10. Okay. I would give like 40% Irvin, 30% Gibson, 20 Kramer, 10 Bradish in my mind. Somebody is saying Irvin could start the home opener against the Yankees. He could. As a lefty. We'll see. We will see. The Orioles are going to mess around with it. But I think we'll Irvin also had... Not that it would matter a ton, but I think he had reverse splits as well as a he pitcher. Did. He was better 
against right-handed hitters than he was against left-handed hitters yeah. as well. Um, we'll see. We'll see exactly how these guys look. That's six weeks away. Yeah. Uh, a couple other questions real quickly, Brendan. Yep. Will Mike Elias make any other moves before opening day? Yep. I think he will. Yep. I mean, I, <laughs> minor or major, he will make a move. Probably not a big one, but I think he probably signed somebody to do a minor league deal somewhere. Michael Waka is finally off the board, Brendan. We can stop saying his name. He signed with the Padres. Yeah. We can stop saying Michael Waka's name on this podcast. We can podcast. stop trying to figure out where on earth he would fit into this starting rotation. He doesn't. That's the answer. He fits into the Padres rotation. He does not. Yep. Uh, look at past history for Michael Elias if you want verification that he will make a move. I listed a couple of them last week. Adam Plucko was traded for from Cleveland right before the season started a couple of years ago. Michael Franco was signed that same offseason, that same spring training in 2021. The Tanner Scott Cole Sulcer traded the Marlins a year ago, shortly before spring, shortly before opening day. I think it was in the last week before opening day. Uh, and I would say, I know we said no big moves. I would say don't necessarily rule out a trade involving Anthony Santander or Jorge Mateo. Yeah. Or maybe even Ramon Rios. I think Jorge Mateo is the most likely. It How these prospects look might influence Michael Elias a little bit. Yeah. If, if one of these sparkles, I'm going to use sparkle a lot, Brendan. Sparkle. Sparkle. If a Joey Ortiz or a Jordan Westbrook sparkles, you never know. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if... Jorge Mateo is in similar conversations to what we just saw with Adalberto Mondesi getting traded to the Boston Red Sox, a team that had an injury, needed a shortstop. Jorge Mateo is a more reliable option than Mondesi is. Yeah. So Jorge Mateo could be in some of those discussions. And as guys, as rosters are become more set around baseball, that means guys are going to be on the outs that the Orioles might be higher on, i.e. like an Adam Plucko, that the Orioles say, let's go trade cash considerations to get this guy Yep, because he's clearly going to get cut. My final question for spring training, John Means and Seth Johnson, this is a question that you asked me last week, probably going to head to the 60-day injured list Yep, at some point. I don't know exactly when the Orioles have to make that decision. Yeah, they're both recovering from Tommy John. Yeah. They're not going to be pitching for a while. So... Once you add them to the to the 60-day injured list, that would open up two spots on the 40-man. The Orioles are going to take advantage of that and try to add a couple guys. I think they could. They don't need to. Yeah. You don't need to protect any guys during the season. That protection window of adding guys to the 40-man roster already happened before the Rule 5 draft. But it gives you some more flexibility if you want to claim somebody on waivers and not worry about having to pass them back through waivers if you're trying to get them to the minor league minor league system you could just keep them on your 40-man roster gives you some flexibility if you want to add colton Kowser, connor norby to the 40-man roster at some point as well i think it just gives you some flexibility absolutely those are all my questions do you have any other questions brennan for sarasota what's the weather like what's the weather like (laughs) what do the trees look like they're beautiful my questions palms they sway in the wind when are we going to get the first video of the glove popping right there it's the best video of the spring. It really is. Gets a million views. Yeah. Why are there Wawa's in Florida? That's my question. Why aren't there more Wawa's in Florida? I'm not complaining. They're, that's a better question. I love Wawa's. Wawa's why are terrific. Why aren't there more Wawa's here? Why isn't there a Wawa in my house? I want a hoagie maker. Why aren't we hosting from <laughs> Wawa? 
These are the questions that I'm posing. We're, we're offering a sponsor right there. How many people turned off this podcast once we started talking about Wawa? Started saying Wawa. It's also a fun fun word to say. It is. That just about does it for the Mass and All Access podcast, which you can watch live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Facebook and on YouTube. You can listen to it after the fact on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Please give us five stars. We really appreciate it. Write us a review if you are so kind. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast, and we will catch you next time. 